Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We've got good news. The world is open again, and people like you, people of faith, are traveling to Catholic sites around the world. Want to travel with exceptional Catholic leaders this fall, next year, or in the future? Are you looking to see specific sites, celebrate traditional Latin Mass, or travel to destinations without vaccine requirements? We are here to help you deepen your faith on pilgrimage. Give us a call at 1-800-842-4842 or visit us online at selectinternationaltours.com. Select International Tours is your pilgrimage company, and we have the perfect Catholic trip for you. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture, along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints, to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Curiously enough, all three of the scripture readings for this weekend, they point to our future, to God's plan of salvation for us all. And how fitting, since next week we begin or embark upon Holy Week. And the events of Holy Week, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, the Easter Vigil on Saturday, and Easter Sunday, they all confirm our salvation as well as our future. Now, turn to the first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Here, Isaiah is addressing the Israelites that are living in captivity, conquered by the Babylonians, and living as slaves to the Babylonians. Now, the Israelites believe all is hopeless. There's no hope for them. There's no hope for a future in which they will be liberated from their slavery by God. Notice what it says. Thus says the Lord, who opens a way to see, a path with mighty waters. Well, here the Israelites are remembering the past event of Exodus, the great story in which God freed the Israelites that were also held in captivity, in this case in Egypt, and how God opened up the Red Sea, and the Israelites passed through, and in doing so, they recognized their freedom as well as established themselves in the Promised Land. And so, the prophet Isaiah is warning the Israelites against living in the past and instead to look to the future. That's where our faith is, and that's where God wants us to be. Isaiah continues. He says, Remember not the events of the past. The things long ago consider not. Now, Isaiah's message is that we have to have faith in the future. 
So you say to yourself, well, how does this apply to me? Well, sometimes we can be enslaved to things. Maybe not literally in shackles, but maybe we're enslaved to work. Maybe to a hectic schedule and commitments. Maybe we're enslaved to poor health. Or maybe depression or anxiety. Or maybe an addiction. Whatever it may be, there are things sometimes that enslave us, prevent us from being free. What's the worst thing that we can do if we're in this position? Live in the past, like the Israelites are doing in the first reading. We say to ourselves, you know, I remember when. I remember when I had good health. I remember when I could do a lot of things and manage them. I remember when I was popular in the life of the party. I remember when I was very active in my faith. Well, I will never be that again. Well, if that's our attitude, we'll be stuck in the past, just like the Israelites. We won't be able to address the present issues that we have. Instead, God tells us that we have to have faith in the future. Because with God in our life, we always have hope. The hope of being rescued. The hope of being liberated from whatever enslaves us. Now, take that message and apply it to the second reading. Paul tells us exactly the same thing. In fact, you could say he builds on that theme of the future. He writes, Forget what lies behind, but strain forward of what lies ahead. Paul, with an unshakable faith in Jesus Christ, is full of optimism for the future. He continues, It is not I have already taken hold. I have indeed been taken possession of by Jesus Christ. Here, Paul is recognizing that on that road to Damascus, something incredibly powerful happened to him. He met the last person he ever expected to meet, Jesus Christ. And on that road to Damascus, it was Christ that took possession of Paul, and his life would never be the same again. Well, the same thing holds true with us. You know, we were taken possession of by Jesus Christ at the moment of our baptism. From that moment forward, from our baptism, we began to grow in a life with Christ. That's why I always say, baptism is the second greatest event in our life. Because at baptism, Christ comes and he joins his life to us, such that now we share a life with Christ. And through subsequent sacraments, especially the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, help us to nurture and grow that life we have with Jesus Christ. And so, that gives us the hope of immortality to come, because that life we share with Jesus Christ will never be separated from us. Now you ask yourself, well, if that's the second greatest event, what is the greatest event in our life? Well, when we see the beatific vision, when we come face to face with God in heaven, then we know we've made it. Now we know we will be with God and all the angels and all the saints and all of our relatives in heaven for all of eternity. That truly will be the greatest event in our life. And so we must always look to the future. And that's why Paul writes just one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Well, Paul is now encouraging us to summon our energy to charge ahead, 
charge forward in pursuit of holiness for the future. Consequently, that should be the basis of our optimism for the future. Now, the beauty of the scriptures for this weekend, the first reading is the first step. The second reading is the second step. And now it plays right into the gospel, which is the culmination of all three of the readings. And Jesus continues that lesson of the future and how important it is for us. So we turn to the gospel, and it's the classic story of the woman caught in adultery. Now notice how it begins. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he arrived again in the temple area, and all of the people started coming to him. He sat down and taught them. Now what I find very interesting, the first thing the people do when they get up in the morning is they go directly to Jesus to listen to him teach. The first thing in the morning, they do not go to the market to buy food. They don't go to the well to get water, which they're going to need throughout the entire day. And they don't get up and immediately go to work. The first thing that they do is they get up and they go immediately to Jesus to listen to him. So it begs the question, how do we begin our day? Do we begin our day like these people? Do we carve out a little bit of niche of our time each and every day as we begin it to spend time with Jesus in prayer, listening to him? You know, I think that's a wonderful spiritual exercise that if we're not doing, we should implement now more than ever as we are about to enter into Holy Week. Carve out a little bit of a niche of our time, just like these people do at the very beginning of our day. And we can be creative about it. You know, say we're driving to work in the morning or we're going to the grocery store. Well, turn off the radio, turn off your phone, and now you sit there in the peace of quiet and you listen to Jesus as you pray to him in your car. That is, I think, one of the best ways for us to always begin the day, just like it did for these people in the gospel. Now, next, the Pharisees bring this woman to Jesus. They're only using her to trap Jesus. The Pharisees are not interested in the fate of this woman. They're interested in finding fault with Christ. Now, the Pharisees tried this before. Remember in Matthew's gospel, in this case, it was paying the tribute to Caesar, whether it was lawful to pay the tribute to Caesar or not. Well, the question that they asked Jesus in today's gospel is intentionally designed to trap him. To find some incriminating evidence against him, to charge him, and then arrest him. Now, if Jesus says, yes, we should stone the woman, and he authorizes the stoning, well, he's committing a crime against Roman law. Remember, Jews were not permitted to carry out capital punishment. Only Romans could. Now, if Jesus says, no, don't stone her, well, the Pharisees would discredit him as a false messiah because he contradicts the Mosaic law. So how does Jesus respond? It says he bent down and began to write on the ground. Now, scholars for centuries on end debated exactly what Jesus was writing on the ground. Some say scripture passages, others say names. Well, nobody really knows. If you really ask me, I think Jesus is so bored with these feeble tricks, he started doodling. How often does that happen to us? We get bored, and all of a sudden we grab something to write with, and we start doodling. 
Well, Jesus stood up and said, Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. Jesus brilliantly eludes the trap. He doesn't say yes and he doesn't say no. And yet, in his genius response, he turns the table on the Pharisees. Now, remember how the story began. The Pharisees bringing this woman to Jesus because they thought they were sinless. Well, Jesus now reminds them they too are sinners, probably even worse. Now, by walking away one by one, they publicly acknowledge their own sinfulness. Now, here's the most important part of the story. Jesus is alone with this woman. He says, has no one condemned you? She replied, no one, sir. Then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go now, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Jesus does not condemn her. What does he do? He forgives her past and then challenges her to live a life of holiness for the future. Well, the same thing holds true with us. We, too, come to Jesus. We acknowledge our sinfulness. We're all sinners. Jesus doesn't condemn us. No. Instead, he forgives our past, and then he challenges us to live a life of holiness for the future. Because it's in the future where our hope lies. And it's in the future where our salvation is found for each and every one of us. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.